0: if there's any emotional intelligence I like challenge most leaders to have is some awareness of that cycle and over as it may affect them. And so I always ask people to stand from a point of humility and have a certain kind of assumption. And the assumption I make is that people don't want to change or will not embrace a change or will not support an effort, not fairly because they are against it. That is not always my first start. It may be because They do not know how that change will impact them. They've never experienced that type of change before, or they are in a position to lead where they are incapable of leading.
1: Creating great products isn't just about product managers and their day-to-day interactions with developers. It's about how an organization supports products as a whole, the systems, the processes, and cultures in place that help companies deliver value to their customers. With the help of some boundary-pushing guests and inspiration from your most pressing product questions, we'll dive into this system from every angle and help you think like a great product leader. This is the Product Thinking Podcast. Here's your host, Melissa Perry. Hello, and welcome to another Product Thinking Podcast episode. Today, we're going to talk all about how to get buy-in when you're doing big organizational change or doing transformations to more of a product-led company. And we're going to talk about developing emotional intelligence and awareness in product managers so that you can read the room and get that buy-in too. And I'm joined by Christian Idioti, who is an SVPG partner. Welcome, Christian.
0: Melissa, thanks for having me here today.
1: It's great to have you. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Like I said, I was catching up with Marty Keegan in Oslo and he was like, you have to meet Christian Have you not met Christian before and he's just singing your praises. So, you know, I've seen you talk at a lot of conferences and I love what you talk about and, you know, your presence and everything is absolutely amazing. So I'm so excited to talk to you today and to dive into these topics. Right. So Christian, can you tell us for the audience to a little bit about how did you get into product management and what you were doing before you landed at SVPG.
0: Melissa, I often joke with people about getting into product management the way everybody got into product management. Getting a master's degree in product management and a PhD in product management. Now, am I the only one? Probably not. I was actually pre-med in college. I got into product management by joining a company and winning a competition, like a business plan competition, and I started to manage an innovation budget and then led product at the company. There was really no formal discipline then, but I've done product work at a startup out in Virginia. I've done product leadership work, leading a major transformation at a global company, Merrill Corporation, for several years. And I was prior to becoming a partner at SVPG. So most of my experience, you know, I've built over 200 products in my career, some really iconic a lot in the HR technology space, in financial services too as well, and I do a lot of work with marketplaces. But today I do most of my work advising, coaching, and training executives, product teams, and leaders on how to build great products.
1: That's great. And thank you for giving some of your background there. So when I was talking to Marty, the way he built you, he was like, this is one of the most impressive people I've ever met who can really work with executives, get that buy-in, help usher in executive change, which is so critical. And I know a lot of our listeners out there they write into me on the Dear Melissa segments, or I've heard them go, how do I get buy-in to work this way, right? Like, how do I convince my executives that we need to be product-led? How do I convince the people around me who might not be in product management that this is a better way of working? And it just keeps going back to, like, that buy-in phase. How do I do this? And it's all levels. Executives or product managers coming into a company that needs to be transformed or they're in the middle of a transformation. But then we also have some new CPOs who come into our organization that never had a product leader before. And it's still a SaaS company, but they haven't seen that. Or we have people in teams who are reading all the stuff that we write and going, hey, I really want to do that, but nobody else around me does. So when you go to work with organizations, you know, you probably brought in by like a sponsor, but how do you get people on the same page and start to generate that buy? And what are the steps that you actually go through?
0: I really think at the core, many people are not aware of the insecurities in executives or leaders, as well as their own insecurities, I do believe fundamentally that arrogance and ego really hurts workers. One of the cycles that really hurts our current environment, and that's any corporate environment, is this idea that people are promoted into a role to do the role and not to learn how to do the role. And so most people get promoted to this type of incompetence. You've never been an executive before, a manager before. You've never led a transformation before. You've never built a product before. But yeah, you are with keys to drive it, an effort or in a leadership position. And the second you become a leader or a manager, you've lost all of the psychological safety opportunity to say things like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I need help. And those things really drive an unfortunate cycle of imposter syndrome, insecurity, arrogance, ego, I am right, you're wrong. And I state this because if there's any emotional intelligence I challenge most leaders to have, is some awareness of that cycle, and even as it may affect them. And so I always ask people to stand from a point of humility and have a certain kind of assumption. And the assumption I make is that people don't want to change or will not embrace a change or will not support an effort not fairly because they are against it. That is not always my first stat. It may be because they do not know how that change will impact them. They've never experienced that type of change before or they are in a position to lead where they are incapable of leading. It's like saying that, you know, I argue that number one reason why people don't experience good coaching is because they haven't been coached well themselves or the number one reason they don't give good context or provide good clarity to others is because their manager or their leader haven't hasn't given it to them. So what I typically do in trying to drive any meaningful adoption or sponsorship or effort is I seek to understand. And in the same light, we might train a product manager to do discovery. I tell people to take it very seriously to do discovery on the sponsors and leaders or people within an organization that could impact an effort. and. That is in a similar light of learning. You're going in to learn. You're not going in with a position or a perspective or to influence. Your first point or perspective should be to try to understand not just where that person is, what's going on, the opportunities, the challenges, the obstacles in their work, but to understand that person's role and position in that effort. You're trying to tune in to the What's In It For Them radio station. And for the most part, I go very deep in my discovery. I want to understand your latent needs, your latent pains. But I mean, I'm thinking in my head, what gets Melissa a bonus at the end of the day? What gets her praise from her manager? What actually makes her, gets her praise from friends at home? What triggers her ego? What will, you know, and if you can align the goals and the interests of the sponsors, to your effort. It's very hard for people to self-sabotage, but it's very easy for people to self-preserve themselves, to hold on to what they think would be risky for themselves as individuals and their careers. So first guidance I give leaders, got to do discovery on the key people in an organization, absence the key problems. Many people are very good. It's kind of this intellectual exercise of identifying all of the problems. And you can imagine coming to a CEO and saying your baby is ugly. In some ways, you know, we can come to terms with that, but at the end of the day, it's still your baby. There's no other person accountable. There's no nice way of sugarcoating something sucks and a leader not feeling accountable for that environment. No matter how much they agree, yes, it is terrible. But like, who else? The book kind of stops with me to fix this. So are you saying I am terrible? People automatically become defensive foundationally, take out ego and arrogance. Seek to understand before you're presenting your perspective. Focus on the individual, their needs, their goals, their reward structure, their incentive structure. Try to align your goals to getting them personally and individually some sense of achievement or recognition from your effort.
1: I think that's so important to to bring that empathy in there. And I'm so happy that you said it. Now, a follow-up question that I get a lot too yes. is, If you are not working on the same level as the executives, you might not have some transparency into how they're rewarded. And I think a lot of people, too, who have never been an executive before don't understand sometimes the dynamics of that reward structure, what's on the line for people in the C-suite when it comes to their delivery and what they're on. So can you explain a little bit about what might be typical incentives or how can you go about to understand the reward structure of a company, especially when you're not in the C-suite or a peer of that person?
0: The worst thing you can do is make assumptions about what those things are. My very first go-to is to actually ask people, how do you get incented? What are you measured on? And you see, people often think it's such an awkward feeling. Like, are you, you're going to go inquire about somebody's bonus or somebody's measurement structure? I always stay this people, look, people truly at the end of the day, they don't really care how you learn about things. It's never in a human construct. We never judge how you learn. We actually care more about whether you know or if you don't know. That's why we kind of have a testing mentality as a society. The only way for me to know that you know something is to test you and say, what's one plus one? If you fail the answer, then I can assume you don't know. I never say, how did you learn one plus one? That was a terrible way of you learning it. If you can get over the hump of it, may feel awkward to go ask an executive, like, I would love to learn more about the compensation structure, the executive pay structure what the bonus plan is for executives, how to get paid, I promise you to feel awkward just then. But you know the difference between then and afterwards, you will actually have some clear facts about how it's done that will inform your interaction and your dynamic with them. So my very first call out to people is just go ask your leader. And the way I phrase it is nothing like you need to tell me your bonus or your compensation or your incentive structure. I say, you know, I want to make sure we succeed when we do the things we do. And interestingly enough, I am on your team. The idea about team is that we have a common goal, a shared approach, shared ways of working and stuff. But we also want to know what the Super Bowl looks like. And I get what my Super Bowl looks like and how I will celebrate, but I want to know what that looks like for you. How do you celebrate success? And you can start with the simple ones, like individually, how do you measure your success here? Tell me about it. people love to talk about that stuff and then say, okay, that's great. Is this the same way your manager measures you? You know, let them talk about that. Is it the same way the company measures you? How do they reward you when you do a good job? Is that a bonus? What does that look like? I don't need to know the numbers or details, but it's important to know that as a leadership team, these are the three things that the company cares about that you provide, but also individually that you care about. How would you measure your career, your success, your stuff? I am a big fan of of a user manual for managers you know, I always tell people, you might have many colleagues, many people that work for you, but in most cases, you only have one manager. It doesn't hurt you to create a user manual for that person. You only need, like when you write the user manual for a TV, it's written. Like it doesn't really change overnight, like where the on and off button is and how to turn up volume. But you need to know that for executives or sponsors. I don't think enough people take that very seriously. People say you can never succeed in your career without a sponsor, without an exec. And I say, well, why don't people take that aspect of their work? The fact that regardless of what your job is, there is a manager, a supervisor, a leader accountable for your success and development that you should pay attention to. All right. I will suggest to people, take the time. There are people that are true stakeholders. That's a whole different dynamic. I think people call everybody a stakeholder. It's not the long list, the real true stakeholders. It's not 5,000 people or everybody in a company. I mean, if you're sponsoring a transformation, if you're leading an effort, if you're a product manager, this is not the list of 200 people. I'm talking five. Take the time to understand their level of interest against their level of influence in what you're doing. Take the time, if they have high level of influence, to understand, create a user manual on them, to understand what drives them, what motivates them, how they are compensated. There is nothing wrong with just going out on accident. That's a great one-on-one. A great one-on-one with them is not like, you know, give me an update or a status report or help me fight this fire. It is, I see you. I see your value here. I am on your team. I want you to be successful. So tell me what that looks like. I have not met any leader that will shun that kind of conversation. Or look, they are actually more impressed with that dynamic because they spent a lot of time talking about themselves and somebody else truly cared about making them successful. So... If you do that, you set yourself up. All the other conversations are much easier after that because you're looking at it through the lens of that interview. So, of course, there are different metrics by different companies that you can look at, whether it's equity compensation, performance. Different companies use different formulas for rewarding or incenting leaders or, or getting their targets. But there is absolutely no better, no clearer way of getting this information than inquiring from a leader.
1: I've never also been met with anybody who's like, no, I'm not going to tell you that, or that's too bad, right? Like here, yeah, like you said, you care about that person, and I think that shows so much empathy for their position, and you know that you want to help them, help them be like the best they could be, and get yes. their bonus and get all those things. I love that. So let's say that you've got an executive in this situation, and I see this a lot at large companies, and you've worked at some really, really large companies especially when it's going through transformations. So we've got executives. They have been not leading in a traditional product company. They've been leading a financial services company, and now they're adopting a product-led way or something like that. I work with a lot of banks. So my head goes there immediately. But let's say we've got all those executives in the top space. They hear about this great product-led focus, and technology is changing the games, and they want to get to more of a product-led place. You go and you find out their incentives and you hear about the revenue incentives and all those things, but they don't quite crack product and they don't understand why they need to understand product. And I run into this all the time, right? Which is, hey, no, product is something that the teams do and they work with the engineers. But like, we don't have to care about that as executives and the middle leaders and, you know, the VPs or anybody like that. That's not us. That's just what the teams do. They just do those things. How do you start bringing a focus to the executives, to those middle leaders that product management is not just for the teams, right? Like how do you start to get them to understand that their jobs need to change and how do you fight that inertia too where they might be technically doing things that they weren't doing for the last 20 to 40 years in those roles and now they have to do new
0: things. I'm glad you are feeling the pain like you've had this exact scenario. (laughs) I am connecting with you on this, Melissa. It's a very, and you know, one of the things that, I think we share philosophically, I always, with Maddie, we, you can kind of see many executives. They're all smart people. They read all the Harvard Business Review journals and articles, and they see all of the performance of tech-enabled company and the groups of all of these companies and all of the startups. And philosophically, they all say, yeah, we want to be like that. Of course, you know, we want to work fast. We want to do that agile thing. We want to do all the things in the afternoon. It sounds great. We should do it there's always underlying question of like, why don't most companies work like the best companies consistently? And I think when you dive a little deeper, you realize it's truly because most of those leaders have never experienced working in those types of companies. They have no barometer for what good looks like in that sense. Things have been working well for them. They've been doing this for 30 years. Everybody gets paid, life goes on. They've led in one way. It's like Everybody understands like command and control is not great. Even if you ask a leader that is doing command and control, they will tell you that. It's like, but you are doing it. It's like, I don't know any better. My manager commands and controls me and look at me. I'm successful. I did well. So I can command and control the next person. So foundationally, first of all, I come from the school of thought like, let's assume good intent. These leaders, they want the outcome from what this change will be. They're like, yeah, we've had this product led stuff. Go do it. You know, I don't know what I need to do about it, but I'm not going to get in your way. And they cannot understand it. Truly what's happening is that they do not know what they need to change or are equipped to do what they need to change to create that environment for this to succeed. If I come in with that mindset and I always coach people around this, then your job kind of changes from trying to, you know, convince and influence. And and you're realizing like, I've got to coach a skill in these people. If we are clear about why we are making the change, because we want to get opportunities we could not before, we want to respond better to our customers, we want to grow our business, great. And I say, well, product management, actually, one of the techniques I do is absolutely ignore the idea of product management and what it means, because those things feel very foreign. It's almost like my department is called you know, marketing or sales. That's their problem. And so I kind of describe it to executives like they are choosing to play a different sport. And I say, look, for many years, maybe the sport you're playing, maybe it's a project management sport, I might say, you're playing hockey. You have a problem, take money, you give it to a bunch of people to fix it, and you get an outcome or an output that you measure people on. And I say, well, I hope you recognize that this whole product-led idea, you are choosing to play different spots. You're choosing to say, rather than telling people what to do, I'm going to give them problems to solve. Rather than funding projects, I'm going to fund people to solve problems. I rather than measuring outputs, I'm going to measure outcomes. I mean, these are some of the foundational differences in the sport. And to play this new game, you need a different team. You have great athletes, outlets, but you need a different team. In Ireland, we probably call those people product managers, designers, and engineers, and stuff. But I get it. That's one thing that has to change. We have to staff up a different team. The second thing I have to tell you is, you play on a different field. The environment is different. You were playing hockey. Now you're playing basketball. you like the athletic people. Sure, they can play basketball. But I tell them, you know, it's hard to convince a two-footer that they can dunk the ball. You may need to equip the team differently. One is playing on ice. One is playing on a different type of ground. And I'm saying that's the environment that you as a leader needs to provide. And I say your job is a little different because we are playing a different sport. You might need different tools. You might need different staffing. So we need to hire different people. We need to coach them differently. We need to provide them context in, through a vision, a strategy. But most importantly, the environment has to change for them to have a chance at winning. And this is where I need your help. And I don't want it to be fuzzy about what does your help mean mean? Because I know you already support this because you said to me you want the outcome. So I want to be clear about what your help means. The job of a leader is twofold. You want to provide clarity on the context. And you want to provide a culture, the environment in which we go do those things. As a manager, you need to staff the team, coach the team, and align them to objectives. So I can break that down for you. And I want to be clear about where I need your help. So what I do with that is I try to put it in their head in some way that they can connect with so that it doesn't feel like personally they've done something wrong or like there's something they need to fix or so they are broken in some way. I'm trying to say we all made a choice to play a different sport. None of us have ever played this sport before. Like. You don't show up on the first day of basketball and start doing all kinds of dunks and moves. You're going to travel a little bit, bounce the ball wrongly. This is the kind of coach I want to give you and I want to provide for you because I want to set us up for success. I'm hoping more leaders can do this kind of stuff. It's almost the patience with it. They want the results, but not the work to actually get the results. Like, you like just show up on game day and like, why are we not shooting three points as well? You know, it's like, it's our first time holding a freaking basketball. So. I create that mental control from a leader and I use it in different ways, however it resonates with them. And I try to have them embrace the idea of like, okay, what do I need to show up to get good at? I say, well, you know, this product management thing is is this different ballgame. We should learn about what it means and what good looks like. The other aspect of it is, you know, you probably hear me say all problems are people problems. Almost every CEO has somebody in their environment that they trust with decisions, they trust me coming to deal with data in customer-centric or data-informed. They have a good knowledge of the business and the industry. I always use that person as an anchor in transformations. I will go to a CEO and I say, hey, would you trust Melissa to make a decision on the next product we do or the next? Oh, Jesus. Awesome. You know, there and you know, that person is always somebody you've had the CEO talk about. And and I say, that's a product manager. And I say, just try to imagine what your business will look like if you had little Melissa's on every little team, driving the decisions that we make, helping you. this a level of trust and comfort you have because they represent your business well, they represent the customer, they are data informed. And once you can get a leader to kind of make that connect or construct, then they start to realize like, oh, the reason I don't like product management is not I don't believe in it is because I don't have a Melissa in it.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Honestly, I haven't thought about it that way. It's just, I know from doing some transformations myself too, like, it's really hard to get somebody to understand product management until they see good product management. And in a lot of the larger companies in the banks I've worked with, they're so reluctant to hire anybody in who's done it before, right? It's all, no, we're just going to train all these people, you know, who've been here for 20 years or 30 years and teach them how to be good leaders or not even train them. They'll just be like, they're the leaders now, (laughs) which I run into more often than not. But I have found that success in more of like the growth stage companies or the SaaS companies I work with where CEO may have never had a great product leader before, but as soon as you show them what one is capable of and get them a good one, they're a convert. They're like, this is amazing. This is fantastic. Like I am sold. I like that approach of what you're doing where it's like, take the person that this person, the CEO trusts or this leader trusts and have them be like, that's a good product manager. But how do you get the buy-in, I guess? What if that person is like, doesn't want to be a product manager.
0: What if they're like, oh, this product leader thing is not for me. And that's great because they are doing product management work. I care less about their title. Like yeah, I care yeah. more about the impact in the environment. And that's what the leader is measuring that person on. So in many cases, the best product managers at you know, most of these larger enterprises are the leaders of product managers, like the VPs, the executives, the SVPs. It is an absolute unfortunate thing, but it's the reality
1: yeah, in exactly.
0: That they are always in all the meetings. They are always making all the decisions. Everything goes through them. So it's actually easier for me to narrate to a CEO and executive, like, "Yeah, Melissa is your chief operating officer, but look at all the decisions she makes every day. All the meetings she makes every day. All the stuff she makes every day." And I say, in the best team, that same kind of context or information and stuff is all the way down in an individual on the team level, and that person is called a product manager. What I want is a Melissa at that level. And the best thing Melissa could do is not to be in all of those meetings making all those decisions, but to create 30 Melissa's for your organization as product managers. My whole idea is if I can convince a leader to see the benefit of product managers through a person's lens, like, all right, if I really had 30 of those, oh, my life would be easier. I will, you know, have less stress. We're going to win. in that way. And I say, well, you know, the best companies have figured out that to win the sport of solving problems for customers, if that they will create 30 of those. It's not a knock on the discipline when it doesn't work. Most of the time, it's like individuals if you've not experienced a good one in that sense. So you're absolutely right. You will meet people that are great at this. I'm great in my job. I don't want to do it. And I say, yeah, but you are doing it because you're in every meeting, every decision. You approve of everything that, Company runs through you. You know, you're on every major project. You're driving every initiative. You're doing it, and you're gonna burn out. You know, I'm giving you a secret to scale it. A secret to start. We're gonna scale with leadership. We're gonna create an army of mini me's. In that sense, good for you, good for the company, good for our customer and that business. Different mindset. That's
1: a very cool way of looking at it, and I appreciate that a lot. So we've got some of these people in these organizations, especially the large organizations, who might know what they're doing. And, you know, they've either read about product management, studied it, they're practicing it, or they come in from somewhere else and they make a great product leader. But I keep running into the issue where they can't read the room. (laughs) and I've seen this a lot in junior product managers and executives too. And it's one of the biggest things I see holding back some awesome product leaders. Like they might get to director or VP, but they just can't get into the good graces of the CEO or they're just not accepted into the executive team. They're not like, seen as an actual executive like a big leader of the organization and that lack of emotional intelligence and understanding a lot of the stuff that we're talking about holds them back from getting the positions that they want how have you seen like you're very good at this obviously like reading the room talking about all the stuff that we did what's your advice for people who are struggling with that to understand why it's important but then also to get up to speed on how to do that how to read people how to understand them
0: it's a great question. I think I started by talking about arrogance and ego and insecurities, and poster syndrome, and people promoted into a point of incompetence. It is painful for me to watch. I didn't understand that I was good at this until I started to feel the pain of watching people struggle with this. Like on the other end, as an executive, and like watching people in the room, I'm like, this person is missing the whole point here, or they just completely missed this. I kind of mentioned before. People don't care how you know. They just care that you know. Almost every executive environment, almost every little, it's almost like a test for people. Your PowerPoint presentation, you can And unfortunately, people are showing up for a test. In an exam, they didn't get a playbook, a reading guide, a study guide for, and they are surprised that they are failing in that kind of stuff. Here's the deal. I always advise and coach people to position themselves from a stance of ignorance. Like, you don't know anything. It's the most awkward feeling for leaders and executives or product managers which are meant to be born with competence. And and why I'm driving this is a trust factor. At the core, there are different types of trust. There's character trust, caring trust, communication trust. But competence trust is the big one in our environment that people use to judge us. Can you do the job? Do you have the skills to do the job? Do you know what the job is? Are you delivering at the expectation or the level we want in the job? Unfortunately, people don't even know what that level is or what that expectation is. And so what I tell people to do is you've got to do some heavy lifting in the beginning to build trust. People do not know that you know things. People do not know that you're competent at things. Your competence, in some cases, unfortunately, the bigger in a company, is not as important as what is perceived. <laughs> so you can be like, I'm the best in the world. If I don't think you are, you are not the best in the world. The bigger the company, the more critical that is. So my master technique for tackling this is to go and learn is I go to Melissa and I say teach me everything you know about the company the business whatever it is or teach me how you present regardless of wherever that testing forum is even if you like I need to present on where the company is going on our strategy I will go to leaders in one-on-one prior to that meeting and I'll say you know what I'm going to be talking to teams in this meeting about the strategy how would you present it what are some things you look like now What am I doing with this technique? Two things. One, it's important that I'm learning and understanding how you like to see things, your perception and stuff. But the second you teach me something, I will get over two psychological hurdles. One, you can no longer question that I know or if I know because you taught me. You're like my teacher and you passed me in class. You know, I know that I taught you, so I know that you should know fairly enough. Two, I have automatically by Doing that, I've created a dynamic that's in a relationship. It's like a teacher-student relationship. The interesting thing about a teacher-student relationship is that that trust dynamic is very safe. If I mess up in public, what would a teacher come and do? Let me help you. Let me fix it. Let me show you. But if I am thinking about you are meant to be competent, you're meant to be the best, now I'm in a position to judge you and stop. I will grade you, but I cannot publicly shame you because I am responsible for teaching you. So once you can fix that dynamic, it feels like work to people, but I have never found a scenario where this has failed to yield very positive results if you do the work. Because it might take a lot to build a trust bank, and it only takes one meeting to lose it with a CEO. Like, oh my goodness, they didn't have any data about this. They don't know anything about the business. What's off is not when they're not going to say Melissa is terrible. They might be like, oh, product management is useless. Just one bad person and the whole discipline is a mess. Or, oh, you know, designers are not great. So I tell people, you've got to do... It only takes, like, once. Once you build that dynamic of trust. And you're like, huh? I didn't really like how they presented that, but that was what I taught them to do. They will be defending you in a meeting to other people that may not be happy. You should, they will be selling you. Oh, yeah, Melissa is very good at this. Why? Because they are representing your technique. They are representing your voice. And you see those things come in in the meeting or in the dynamic that you feel very connected to them. So truly, truly important. You've got to get rid of the arrogance and ego in this discipline. The amount of products I have built in my career and the success I've had building products over and over again has come from extreme ignorance, from being in a position of I do the same thing with my customers. I don't know you. I don't know your needs. The more I know, the better I will be. If I can take your voice, your strength, I do that with my stakeholders. I do that with my team. Now, does that mean I'm not competent or I'm not smart enough to figure things out and stuff like that? No, I'm just a little smarter to figure out that I do not know (laughs) the best way to present this, the best strategy. No matter your data is, you lose the room when you cannot connect with the room or read the room. And reading the room means you know those individuals in the room and you know how they like to be read to. I've been in meetings where I know that there's one strong person that I cannot reach and stuff. I know I will preference the whole meeting with that. And I'll say, hey, I understand you all are used to seeing, but I'm going to uh, see a nice PowerPoint, but I'm going to play a video because Melissa loves videos. And so you all bear with me while I do that. Now, everybody's going to laugh at that because they know Melissa. You're like, oh, and you took the time to connect with Melissa. And Melissa is going to feel like, okay, this video was just for me. But it only takes one bad experience to change that dynamic. So you've got to do the work.
1: It's very great advice. So when you're working with executives or in these areas and priming them for change and digging in. Is there ever a situation where you're like, this is hopeless? <laughs> I can't get through to them. Or do you feel like these techniques are...
0: <laughs> I know, it's such a dismal thing to say, but like... Do All you the time. Ever? Okay. All the time. Don't feel bad. part of it. Yeah. And you can understand those dynamics. There are many cases in which you might always be like, oh, or you could just see somebody blame everybody else. When they... I always go back to that first anchor. Of like maybe you don't know, maybe you're not sure, maybe you're ill-equipped. I don't just assume like evil intent. You don't want good or can. And it's like you know maybe you don't know better. In some ways, I will say this: some of the most impressive transformation stories I have come across have come from places and industries I did not expect. Meaning on paper, you know, I think I worked with a big agricultural company. I'm just like no, yeah, no. It's like a hundreds of years old. You make agricultural equipment for farmers. And we are like, you know, those people have been here for 45 years and 30 years. And my children's children have been here. And you're like, you want to become a modern tech company and do stuff. Yeah. Just mentally in your head, you're like, I have doubts. I have serious doubts. But then you meet people. And going back to my point, they are humble. They are eager to learn. They are self-aware to understand what they do not know. And you feel excited about the journey. But Those people you see them in meetings saying, I am not really sure how to make this work, but I want to make this work and I'll be vulnerable about it. And I need you all to help. Boy, I've seen some of the most amazing transformation journeys come from that. One of the best arguments I had is that organizational transformation starts with individual transformation. Leaders, executives, they have to transform themselves before they can transform the organization. I think if you go with that playbook, you start to approach the work a little differently. But you're absolutely right. Have I made recommendations to CEOs and that they've got to fire like some people on their team because they are? Absolutely. Have I made recommendations to boards that to fire their CEO because their CEO is not the person to lead? Absolutely. But it doesn't come from the point of me initially assuming that they are going to fail or they don't mean It's, hey, we've coached this person, we've seen this. You know, your journey is significantly going to be more difficult. Because this individual cannot grasp these concepts, cannot support it, or is resistant to doing the work to doing it. And not saying you're not a great person, you know, maybe they're just not a great person for this effort <laughs> in that sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: So what I'm getting from you and what I'm hearing is a lot of this success on these transformations start with the leaders willing to transform themselves, looking at their jobs and saying, hey, I'm going to put in the effort. So let's all put in the effort and willing yes. to do that work. Is that what you see as the difference between successful transformations and not? Or is there other factors that you've seen really play into that too?
0: I mean, there are several factors. I, I do say yep. the factor you called out about the executive buying or starting at the top or at the CEO level, mm-hmm. not outsourcing the mindset of it, and recognizing they, what they have to do in changing their language, changing their behaviors, changing the environment to enable this to be successful is consistently true in the most successful companies. The CEO or the top executive is the champion of it and they are doing their own transformation to support it. Obviously, strong product leadership is key because they are responsible for staffing and coaching a competent team as well as providing contextual vision and a strategy on that journey. Competent product managers on the team is important, but you know, you need good leaders to hire, train, and coach those people and to retain them. So as well, you need to have an empowered culture. So how you work is important. So There are many elements in this that if you ask me, what have you found to be consistently true in those transformations, I could point to some of those elements. Interestingly enough, when people say, if you come back two years from now or three years from now, how would you know that we're doing a good job on this journey? You know, I I love um, Bill Campbell always, argues the most important thing is an empowered engineer. I always go to an engineer and I say, what are you working on? And if the engineer, sure, they can articulate what they are building or working on, but if they can connect it to an outcome, if they can talk about it in the same power or magnitude as a CEO, like, oh, you know, we're here to change the world. We're trying to drive customer engagement. We're going to be the best company. When you hear that from a you know, an engineer, the doer in an organization, it means that this kind of this flip, kind of an empowered organization has happened. The connection between the person that leads all the context and strategy and the person doing it is very strong. Bigger companies, there are many, many layers between that top person and the actual person put it in the code. And when you start to see that that person put in the code articulate stuff like that leader, you have transformed that environment. And that's very powerful.
1: That is definitely something to look forward to. I think for a lot of companies out there. Well, thank you so much, Christian. This has been great. I've learned a lot from you and I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure everybody out there is listening now too. is pretty excited to maybe go use some of these techniques and get their buy-in. Yeah. If people want to learn more about you, read about your blog posts or get in touch for some work, how can they reach out?
0: Please visit us on svpg.com. You're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter as well. We share newsletter. It's fantastic to get some of these updates. But always happy to talk about this more and more with anyone.
1: Great. And thank you all for listening to the Product Thinking Podcast. Next week, we'll be back with another Dear Melissa, where I answer all of your questions about product management. So make sure you go to dearmelissa.com and submit those questions to me and I will see you next time.